I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We have to watch Under the Water, Carry the Water. What is this What of the moon? There's water at the bottom of the ocean. Remove the water. Carry the water. Remove the water. From the bottom of the Hey Pete. Was. I said, "Hey Pete." Hey Aaron, how are you? Just because this is our second episode we've recorded tonight doesn't mean we can't still greet each other for the audience's sake. <laughs> still weird. I've already talked to you. What we are we going to say? We to already you? did all this. What are we going to do next? Introduce ourselves as we love to watch a movie podcast that picks a theme, does movies over the course of that month around that theme and if we remember we compare and contrast is that what we're gonna do peter i don't know i don't know are you chicken shit i thought maybe he'd build off and be like oh yeah it's lovecraft month again love and or wait love and uh, wait lovecraft, lovecraft and, and other, other drugs. drugs lovecraft and other drugs uh, we came up with that on the <laughs> on the previous episode which will be next week's episode because i really like to fuck with peter's brain about the way time works when we <laughs> record these um, that is actually a key part of Underwater, is the what? opening narration. Uh, Kristen Stewart, I'm getting right into it. Uh, Kristen Stewart uh, discusses... You can't go to give the plot. You didn't say what movie we're doing. Under the Water, Carry the Water. Uh, we're watching Underwater, which is a uh, long delayed, but it finally came out in 2019, right? 2020, January 2020. 2020. Wow. So this is like one of the last movies you could see before COVID. I saw it in theaters. Like, this was my second time. So it came out about a year ago. Oh, and weird. You I know saw... funny? Yeah. I saw this. Sorry, I didn't see this in theaters because you were like, it's interesting, but maybe wait for home. Colorado Space, the same month, was the last movie I saw in theaters. I actually bought tickets to 1917. Because I'm like, should I watch this before the Oscars? And like, I, I still haven't seen 1917. I get it. It's good. I just, for some reason, have no interest whatsoever in watching it. But I'm like, well, everyone that says you got to go see it in theaters, uh, if you're going to see it at all, because it's like a theater movie. And I was, you know, so I had to take it in 1917 for this night. And then the last minute I posted a poll on our uh, movie Facebook group that we met in. I'm like, which one should I go see? And Underwater won. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going on. That was kind of the one that was calling my name anyways. Uh, and I'm really glad I did. I did text you, Peter, that I don't think it's a successful movie, but holy shit, I can't wait to talk about it with you. It's actually so, successful in a lot a lot of important ways, and then it falls apart in ways that seem unimportant, but like ultimately matter. Yeah, its history is just so odd and um, oh, unexpected. An and it, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. That's probably what we'll start with. Um, but also, it... If it committed to what it was going to do, even a tiny bit more, I'm not asking you to take eight leaps. I'm saying take like a couple small steps. I think it would be a uh, remarkably more successful movies. And maybe from a budgetary standpoint, one of the most amazing depictions of uh, a Lovecraft adaptation. So I'll say this, like 
uh, and then we're going to get right into it. The part of this movie that is worth seeing is, I mean, it's already in Lovecraft month, so you get a sense. If you saw the previews, there's probably nothing too Lovecraftian about the previews. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a spoiler wall. We usually don't do it, but the main, like, I didn't even spoil it with Pete back when I saw it in theaters and was texting him in the parking garage before I, I went home. Like, this movie has a surprise at the end that recontextualizes uh, both uh, everything you saw before, but also adds um, a different air to these little glimpses and hints of things that you're like, why are they even including this? Is this supposed to go anywhere? So if you haven't seen Underwater and you have any intention of seeing it, the the main reason to see it is, besides a very effective opening scene, uh, is where it kind of ends up going and what the hints that it leaves you with. This is your last chance. Don't, if you don't want to know that, if you're like, well, I now I know it's a Lovecraft movie. They're doing it on the, the podcast. Okay, maybe I'll go watch it. Jump out right now. Now, Peter, right now. So it's a Call of Cthulhu. I've seen the movie. That's why I'm starting. Oh, yeah. No, it's a Call of Cthulhu adaptation. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely a Call of Cthulhu adaptation. Um, However, what is... Let's talk about the pre-production. Well, hold on. Because that's the the rub. Because, like, that that explains how we... That explains how we get to it being uh, a Call of Cthulhu adaptation. So it's not kind of a Call of Cthulhu adaptation, though. Like, the monster at the end, there's all these little monsters, which we'll talk about when we end the plot. The, at the Fred end, Savage. a giant... A, yep. Howie Mandel. <laughs> giant, yeah, how, little, Fred Savage was just a kid, Peter. Howie Mandel was a little monster. Fred Savage was also a little monster. He was eating those, like, uh, peanut butter and onion sandwiches and shit. No, it feels like Howie Mandel erasure. Um... <laughs> That's that's fine. Which is actually, to be clear, a societal goal we should all strive for. <laughs> um, in it this sounds case, bad when I say bad. the word. Rape. Sounds bad. Uh, the language that is normally used to describe bad things we don't want to happen in this case applied to a perfectly noble cause, which is Howie Mandel erasure. But it is like explicitly, Cthulhu is a giant monster at the end who occupies the screen for fifteen minutes to the point that the the ending scene where you see them, its arms. It's not like. Oh, it's like a Cthulhu monster. It is Cthulhu. It is confirmed by the director. It adds a lot of interesting bits to some things that didn't make any sense along the way. Uh, But ultimately, it is an insanely compromised vision. Uh, Here's the thing. The reason I'm kind of doing a little asterisk before you go down the history, because I know we exchanged texts. The director said some things in January when the movie first came out. And everyone's like, is that Cthulhu? He's like, it's Cthulhu. You got me. Um, the movie that was dumped in January, the month that is famously a dumping ground for uh, movies the studio wasn't happy with. But he also said some stuff later in May and June, which you didn't reference in text. I don't know if you looked it up, but um, I do think it's interesting that there, like, there was a screenwriter, right, mm-hmm. who had a different vision. The director had a... From my understanding, or what he said later on, maybe it was to take credit for the thing that people found most interesting. He always came into the script and was like, here's what we're changing. And then uh, and then Disney buys Fox and a bunch of other weird stuff happens. So, Peter, why don't you kick us off with, like, 
how this movie was incepted. So when this movie uh, was first uh, produced, which I believe was... What was uh, the movie's progenitor? Uh, Alien. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely Alien. Um, but yeah, uh, the movie, when the movie was first kind of, uh, originated, the, uh, idea was, uh, largely just sort of a underwater adventure story. Uh, TJ Miller was not canceled yet. Um. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Let's just, <laughs> let's focus on this. Um, and the goal was to make it sort of an underwater adventure movie. It was produced... And then it went into post-production. And well, then... no, 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 no. The script itself, though, was written as Little Monsters and then a monster called the uh, uh, Behemoth. Oh, yes. The original title was Behemoth. Um, yeah, Behemoth. Did I say Behemoth? It is late. Behemoth. Behemoth sounds like uh, a, uh, a Pepto-Bismol ripoff. Yeah, it kind of sounds like uh, a motivational poster for, uh, for moths. Behemoth. <laughs> Behemoth. <laughs> um, so it was originally about, uh, you know, a big monster. It didn't necessarily... Little monster is big monster. That was it. Yes. It wasn't necessarily strictly Lovecraftian. Um, uh, and then uh, the movie went into a two-year post-production. In this time, Kristen Stewart made a lot of other movies. T.J. Miller went on to accuse a woman of being a terrorist on a train... Um, get kicked off the of Silicon Valley, his career cratered. Uh, unfortunately, he's a key part of this movie, so they had to keep him in it. But he dies super, like, he dies halfway through, gruesomely, which is nice. It is nice, but he's not a, he's someone that when he's introduced, he is immediately supposed to be a character you like. Oh, uh, yeah. And the movie That's... is constantly hitting you with jokes that are supposed to hit for him. It actually, I will say this, and maybe this is just a second time watching it for this. I know it was your first time. He's he goes away quicker because you know he dies relatively midway through. I feel like you're like okay, I can. You have a little more sense of how much you're gonna have to put up with it, and that makes it go down slightly easier. Here are the two. Here are the two spoonfuls of sugar that you get for T.J. Miller. Three, I guess. First one is a tiny teaspoon. It's that at the time we didn't know he was crazy, and at the time that they shot this movie, you probably didn't hate tj miller you probably at most found him a, a little annoying um at worst found him a little annoying two um his character is constantly cracking jokes which is very annoying the flip side to that is that in this situation in the little moments i recognized tj miller's character as somebody i see in real life which is like um when my past company was going through bankruptcy and people would just crack jokes all the time, like sort of gallows humor um, all the time. And like you wouldn't necessarily laugh at every joke, but you realized like almost like this is how this person is coping. Like this is what this person needs to cope in this situation. Uh, three is that while I don't like T.J. Miller and I always found him very annoying on like Delgado's movies and like whenever he'd pop up in Silicon Valley, I'd be like, wasn't this supposed to be a guy that fell off the show season one? Like, isn't this supposed to be the guy that the whole group, the whole group like grows from? some of the jokes landed with me like it wasn't a total like a uh, total wash like some yeah of the jokes i mean funny. like He's like throwing I, a lot at the wall so don't get yeah, me wrong. i guess i mean the thing about tj miller or anyone else in this and, and we need to go back right after this so but we can get out of the way yeah. like there's a reason why tj miller filled a role in movies like he he was a funny interesting presence i saw him i remember seeing his comedy central presents he's in the 
uh, Extract, which is not a movie I actually like that much, but he's funny. And like, <laughs> he was sort of brought in to be like the young, the young hot alt comic yeah. guy to pair against like the sort of, um, you know, older, more respected cast. Yeah, and then like he had the um, get, like beat the shit out of or tried to beat the shit out of an Uber driver. Then he had the uh, Me Too um, situation where like a woman in college, and then him and his wife like like were tried to like just drag her through the mud. And then he had the bomb threat. Like he um, he always like that's the problem I think with the T.J. Millers of the world, like. I, I'm not going to say that he has, like, I never found him funny. Like, I saw him, my wife and I went and saw him do stand-up. Like, it, it doesn't help over. anybody to say he never found him funny. Yeah, yeah. I Like, there he's he's enjoyable in this role in this movie if you forget that it's T.J. Miller because this is a perfect T.J. Miller role. Like, that's, that's what, you know, and we were watching Deep Rising. This role exists in Deep Rising, too. It's just played by a different actor at that time. Like, they, they all have this, it feels like. Uh, the comic relief in the underwater action horror movie, like um, you know, this was the Jamie Kennedy role. Like, so like it's not he's good at it. There's a reason why it was an easy probably cast for him. Doesn't mean that you enjoy watching him after you realize a lot of things about uh, about someone who uh, either you know should be in jail or needs some extremely serious serious. Um, Help, but he was always one of those guys that like shows up a talk show. He acts unhinged. His stand-up thing was like, "I'm kind of crazy," and like sometimes those people are, yeah, yeah. And sometimes those people are kind of crazy. And he also had that thing like in 2011 where like his brain was bleeding, and they he didn't realize it for months, and was like behaving erratically and stuff like that but like his his comedic act was erratic and weird so like friends didn't notice for a long time and he didn't notice because his brain was bleeding and they had to do like eventually like an emergency procedure so there's just you know i i don't want to see him in movies he has done some horrific horrific things he definitely seems more at least to me like I hope he goes away from the public eye forever and gets some serious help. I guess that's kind of my take on T.J. Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the reason we're bringing him up is because he does fully occupy the, half the runtime of this very short movie. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's just one part of the that's one part of the sort of production. The equation. weird thing about having a two year delay. So yes. and also the movie went to a two year post production, which similar to New Mutants and a couple other movies. Um, Disney, it sounds like Disney had some trouble figuring out what to do with this movie. And then eventually the answer became um, <clears throat> give them a little bit more money for post-production and then get the shit out to make whatever money we can off of it in January. Because not releasing a movie uh, is considered very embarrassing in Hollywood. Um, it's it's just it's something that you don't do in the Internet age anymore um so the yeah best way i mean do, and you can make some to, money somewhere right the best like, time to, the best thing to do is do it uh, is uh the classic model which is to release <laughs> it in january with a limited marketing budget or the other model now is releasing it straight to a netflix yes or just i mean how many things on like amazon prime have you never heard of and they came out two two months ago yeah and they clearly had a budget of something and a film crew and actors and this would have been a great straight to shutter movie wouldn't it yeah 
Uh, I mean, I liked seeing it in the big screen. <laughs> oh, no, I know. I, I agree, too. And I, I just watched a Shutter movie called Blood Quantum. Then I'm like, I would have liked to see that in the big screen. But, like, it's nice yeah. that we get to see it at all. Uh, so, really quickly, though. So, the movie was written. It was written as a straight monster movie. The director, in some more recent interviews, at least in, like, midway through 2020, says that he always said, okay, let's take this. And make it a Call of Cthulhu adaptation, which is why, yes, in post-production, they really made an explicit Cthulhu monster as it was sitting on the shelf and they they hadn't made the monster yet. But it's also why you have all these hints of essentially a cult that a person was a part of as part of the undersea digging stuff. So or is someone who is like at least somewhat exposed to the the calling of cthulhu the literal call of cthulhu and it was getting to his brain and then he got transferred away from that dig site and then his brain started to clarify so yeah here's the thing about this movie and i say we do a hard cut to the plot because yes ultimately this is what i want to talk about why i was excited to talk to you about it peter why i want to do it on the show is this movie is a call of cthulhu adaptation if you take away the Cthulhu monster at the end, what you need to understand is everything about the Call of Cthulhu for you to recognize it as a Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu adaptation. It essentially has three or four major Easter eggs that ha- that explain the entire plot to you. And if you are not familiar with what those Easter eggs represent, then all you have is a monster movie. It is the strangest thing I've ever seen that, you know, one thing that uh, Peter and I love the Dark Souls games, and there's a great Dark Souls podcast called Bonfire Side Chat that we bonded over. We've talked to one of the hosts on here before, but their thing is like the great thing about the the Dark Souls games, they give you 70% of the narrative through clues. 70% is enough for you to get to the 90 or 100% that you need to, to understand the plot. When those types of games or Dark Souls games or narratives are bad, they're actually giving they give you forty percent. In that, like, there's there's clues in here, but there's nothing enough to like piece together a coherent narrative. This movie, and this is my take, gives you both simultaneously ten percent and a hundred percent. In that, it is giving you ten percent. It's not giving you anything. But though that nothing that it gives you, those little breadcrumbs, are enough to piece together the Call of Cthulhu plot if you are intimately familiar only with Call of Cthulhu as a Lovecraft story. If not, you are getting 0% of that as opposed to 100% of it. And it's an odd choice because they could have taken the stance of, forget it, we're just going to make a monster movie and the monster at the end is going to be Cthulhu. Or they could have put a little bit more effort into letting um, an audience that wasn't intimately familiar with the works of H.P. Lovecraft into what any of the thing, anything they were talking about meant. Anything that they had besides just the straight up action A to B narrative was alluding to. And instead, they left those little things in that must have been amazingly perplexing to the majority of audiences. And at best, uh, at best, unless you are hunting for a Lovecraft movie, which if you're listening in this month, I am going to assume you're at least somewhat interested in, in cosmic horror. Um, <clears throat> it left, there's a few freaks like us who are like, 
oh, this movie, this makes the movie uh, so much more interesting and, and, and something to chew on. Or uh, if you, you get the Lovecraft references and you're just a normal horror fan, you went, oh, that's cool. And it became tr- and it became trivia as opposed to um, something worth chewing on. But I think that the movie well, exactly like you you made a sixty those. million dollar yeah Call of Cthulhu adaptation, which is like something that I wouldn't have thought of in my wildest dreams, and you purposely hid that it was a Call of Cthulhu adaptation. Like, and it's got Kristen Stewart as the lead. Yeah. like it's a scary horror movie leading up to that. Like. It's it's it. We needed to cover it for the show, even though it's not fully successful, because it's pretty successful, and they threw more money at this thing than any Lovecraftian adaptation, yeah. barring maybe Lovecraft Country. <laughs> yeah, Lovecraft. Yeah. Country? Well, that's not really a Lovecraft adaptation. That's more of just a horror. It, it's more of like a, a weird uh, fiction where we won't we haven't talked about that because the last time we did a lovecraft month uh it, it wasn't out it, it ended up being more of like a weird fiction um yeah like travel it's a celebration or... of like those types of authors as opposed to a lovecraft inspired adaptation which was the, was the case with the book too yeah it felt like more like it, it was almost like as inspired by algernon blackwood or like lovecraft's non-mythos stories than it was by anything to do with like what you think about <laughs> in the mythos yeah but my last point is that like so the director since then has stated like Part of the reason he wanted to do it this way, and again, I don't know how much of this is like the director selling a narrative post the movie coming out and how much was like intentional throughout the process. But if you believe the director, his take, which I kind of like conceptually, is that if you want to make a true Lovecraft adaptation, you have to do it. Where the Lovecraftian monster is a as su- uh, surprising and unexpected to the audience as it is to the characters in the movie that like really delving in in that like when uh, when in the Call of Cthulhu when Cthulhu shows up that is an unexpected event for everyone there the idea of this tentacle monster god that is a unlike like makes you crazy by looking at it complete with like non-euclidean geometry and like a size of like immense scale that was amazing and shocking and surprising no one expected to see that even if they were investigating something odd and if you want to replicate that feeling to an audience member this is the way you need to do this and i like that conceptually i really do um i think one of the things that like um Peter, I don't know how old you... I guess you would have been like 18 when the Cloverfield trailer came out. But I was always... I don't know how into it you were at the time. Like, what is this? What could this be? And one of the theories that was floating around the internet at the time was that it was going to be a stealth Godzilla movie. And and as a Godzilla fan, I loved that idea. That idea of like, hey, for the audience as much as the characters, the idea of Godzilla rising from the seas and terrorizing Tokyo was a fucking shocking event. Like, they were not expecting to look out and see a uh, a 40-story uh, flame-breathing dinosaur crushing their city. So how do you replicate that feeling for an audience? And I, I like, I get that. That is a 
That is a worthy goal. I think all of us, Peter, would love to like go to a movie like a crime drama movie and and discover we're watching a secret Batman movie. Like in this day and age, as filmmakers or as film goers, as people that like feel like we don't get that many surprises in movies before we see them, the idea that we're seeing some sort of like genre entry. Um, that gets revealed to us as an audience in real time is is a great idea. I just think this movie could have done that successfully and led to those little hints and stuff like that with giving a little more than what is the equivalent of Easter eggs to the audience to piece together the plot. This also feels like the perfect time to do this strategy, which is like you make a movie that is evocative. It has sort of like an A24 level trailer. Like you hire, you pay someone good fucking money for a trailer that's going to at least give you like the us vibes, right? Where you get get like a a cool like hip hop song remixed or an A24 trailer where it's like um, cut to a specific beat. Um, You get that trailer out there. Everyone says, I'm just going to see this horror movie. Um, And then a week or two passes and then you let out another trailer, which is uh, revealing what all those first two weeks audiences saw, which is that it's secretly an in's mouth trailer, an in an in's yeah. mouth adaptation. Like this would be the perfect time. Well, not not right now, but like in terms of how audiences over anticipate movies and how you need to break the news cycle, it feels like a perfect time to um, do what this movie did, but with with actual bravery. Um, Disney didn't have the bravery to do it. And also the movie doesn't quite back that up, but to do, to do what you were, what everyone thought, um, Godzilla was, or there was a movie life a few years ago that everyone. Oh yeah. I have that. You know, it's so fucking funny. I have that exact thing in my notes where everyone was like, is this spawn? It feels weird that they'd have all these big name actors in this huge budget movie. And the trailer just keeps showing what's clearly the opening scene. Like, something is off, and what was off is that the movie was bad. Yeah. Uh, I saw life. But I thought the same thing, Peter. I'm like, It'd be so cool. I know that the, one of the reasons that they can't do this shit is because the f- opening weekend is so huge now for movies. Yeah. Um, and so I know what really the tra- strategy would be is you show a cool horror trailer, you give it an evocative title, an evocative name, you get the name in people's brains, and then, like, right before release... Right when you build explosive buzz by releasing like, hey, this is actually an Innsmouth uh, adaptation also. So you're bringing in a whole other quadrant of nerd because you've just broken the news cycle. And now everyone is going to write about like, oh, hey, that like sort of spooky, you know, creepy villager movie. It's actually about Lovecraftian gods like you. This would be the this sort of environment would be the perfect time to do. Yeah, exactly. Underwater didn't have the movie to back it up and it didn't have the faith in the studio to back up that sort of strategy. Um, But it ended up being the thing where like I I saw the trailer. um, I saw the middling reviews and the fact that it was released in January and I said, no, not really, not really interested as much anymore. And then somebody said to me, "Hey, did you know that this is a cosmic horror movie?" And then I was like, "Oh, I'll see it now." <laughs> yeah, it is. I'll go like, see it right now. Yeah, I guess like what is still perplexing about the marketing and everything else, and I get some of it is just like the studio needing to finish the movie, but not really caring because I mean, I I don't understand how this movie 
got released or greenlit in the first place. And I, I mean that not in a dickish way. It feels like every five years someone makes a giant budget underwater horror movie that, that bombs at the box office. Like, which of these are successful? I feel like this is a post-gravity movie. I feel like this is a this is a we're going I feel like this was pitched specifically as a gravity riff. Uh, sure, but like well, well, lone honestly woman, like lone and think about the way it's produced. It's it's largely a lone woman uh contending with practical solutions for staying alive in an alien environment and it's super intense, it's super on the gr- like boots on the ground. And uh, you pitch that as as a as a gravity movie, basically, and gravity made a shit ton of money. Interstellar was not that kind of survivalist movie, but it was, you know, that made a shit ton of money. Like, yeah, you pitch it and basically say, like, it's a little bit alien. It's a little bit um, rock. It's a little bit alien. It's a little bit gravity. You don't say it's a little bit sphere. <laughs> it's a little bit uh what's another big underwater bomb like these movies well there's so many life, though there's know. like leviathan deep rising even like the abyss james cameron who's like hit 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 makes an underwater weird sci-fi horror movie and everyone's like mm, no thanks also the hasn't fact been that released on blu-ray got to make another wet movie and it was the it was the biggest movie ever for the time but it was above water <laughs> Mm-hmm. tell that to the to the blue blue lipped bodies in the water of the atlantic aaron the other thing this could have been a secret adaptation of is c lab 2021 but i know you hate that show so i'm glad it wasn't for your sake specifically um wait have we oh we haven't put out the don't you dare on we haven't done the frisky, frisky dingo frisky one dingo yet, but, but that's where we learned you hate C Lab twenty twenty one. Very annoying. You don't like a eleven minute episode where people just scream Bizarro, where I think it's the most perfect piece of media of all time. This might be some hyperbole. Um, it's basically but, they were like there. It's basically like the patience episode before the patience episode, but with half the cleverness, but half the runtime. <laughs> so that means a hundred percent of the it cleverness. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> runtime equals oh did i beat you on math mm-hmm. peter <laughs> anyway uh let's get into the plot of this because like i'm very excited to do this episode on this month i'm excited to talk to you about it peter but i don't have too much to say about it because i, I just i just want to digest like what their breadcrumbs were and why like this is going to be a little bit of a monday morning quarterback episode like Here's what they did. Here's what they should have done. Here's why I think it's still fun. Let's all go about our lives. Yeah. Let me do a quick rundown of what what the movie is. <clears throat> no. Let's okay. do a break, like a like a episode of the show. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I thought you were jumping right into it, and I was just no. rolling with it as a good partner. Yeah. I'm like, as in, like, let's go to our standard operating procedure, oh, okay, which yeah. is... To yeah. pivot. And also, you just did the plot recap on the last two in between this. I'm going to do it. Sure. I, I figured I was doing do it all the time. What are you? Do you like doing you the still, recap? You just don't want to do it. Never mind. Cut. Do you, wait, do you like doing the recap? <laughs> no. I thought, um, I, thought I, was being a, I thought I was being a solid bro.
alternate taglines. Am I now? <laughs> alternate taglines. Behave, Austin Powers, 1997. <laughs> Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, never, <laughs> I don't know. um, how about this? We promise this is the last time TJ Miller will be cast in a film. Burr, it's cold down there. There must be. I said burr. It's cold down there. Um, There must be a lack of pressure and access to sunlight in the atmosphere. Yeah, this does. uh, You know, you mentioned the gravity thing, but like it is like pressure. Pretty scary. Push it down on me. Push it down. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever's editing this, if they don't use uh, that line from Once in a Lifetime. Uh, in uh, Talking Heads, and if they don't use Under Pressure from uh, David Bowie, I just really don't know why we. Maybe it is just an adaptation of that song because there's a terror in knowing what this world is about. There's a terror in knowing what this world feels is appropriate about. for a cut. Was, a hold Cthulhu, on, hold on. Why don't you watch out? Hold on. Was <laughs> David Bowie singing about Cthulhu in the song Under Pressure? David Bowie's last album was essentially a big like occult thing, right? Like it was. It was uh, Dark Star is like referencing like astrology and like uh sort of i don't know if i think that because of the album or the last music video <laughs> the last music video was was essentially a horror music video it was yeah it's it cool um yeah so the plot the of underwater it does the gravity thing of just getting off with a bang like kristen stewart's just brushing her teeth and all of a sudden she's like oh a little drip of water that's not good i'm an underwater space station let's also Ka-blam-o! let's note something here this yeah. movie was in post-production hell for a long time. Yeah. Um, I would be very, very surprised if this this opening narration plus, like, this opening scene was not the result of producer meddling. The opening and ending... I forgot there's... I, the opening and ending narration are garbage. I kind of forgot there was opening narration. The ending narration is especially, like... Wow, life finds a way. Like, fuck that shit. Uh, I definitely agree with you. The narration was probably someone adding something. Like, you can't just start with someone brushing their teeth underwater in the movie Underwater. Um, But uh, the opening sequence itself, where water starts to, like, just her recognizing, like, oh, you can't have a drip of water in a... (laughs) underwater space station and then the next thing that happens immediately after is uh water seeping in uh at a like violent speed is such a great thing because like that's about the amount of time that you'd have to recognize that like oh there should be water in here oh my god there's water everywhere so they she just starts running it's one of those uh we're hitting the ground (laughs) running sequences where she um starts closing random hatch doors to you know stop uh to protect certain areas of the the underwater um i keep saying underwater space station in my head i don't know if that's right but underwater station i mean underwater is is there's a there's space underwater it's not outer space space no one can hear you blue 
in a way, I think the movie is, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. This this is trying to do the gravity thing, it's, but it's yeah. essentially making underwater. Um, it's still a good space. sequence, though, right? Like, I, no, it's I think it's, it's a, great. I think the movie has a, a, a fucking, like, one of the best horror opening sequences I've seen in a long time. Like, there's no fucking around. You get to, you get to meet her, meet her personality a little bit. Kristen Stewart has such a cool aesthetic in this movie. The, like, blonde, really short cropped hair. And, like, she's kind of, like, she's she's got Ripley vibes. Huge Ripley vibes. In a good um, way. Not in a rip-off way. Like, she's still carrying the Kristen Stewart, like, you know, sort of, um, what's a non-offensive non, <laughs> way of saying it? Like, uh, slouchy? Is slouchy, is slouchy not offensive? Um, so, actually, like, the thing, like, she does have, like, I think, aesthetically Ripley vibes. But she feels more like nervous and anxious about both being in an underwater station and like all the things she has to do throughout this movie to survive. Like, like she she has the uh, physicality, she has the will to live. She's cared about not just herself but everyone surviving. But there still is like a like a general panic that she seems to be in throughout the movie, understandably. And I think it's a way it, she does a really good job of both giving us like a strong lead character while still recognizing that like being in an being miles underwater in a station that's collapsing is a terrifying experience, and like there is a core strength that like um, overcomes the the anxiety but anyways i'm kind of getting ahead to that yeah so. and this is this is just it, it's, it's establishing very early on that being underwater is not taking a little swim in a boat being underwater is just as dangerous as being in space uh your your body cannot survive the pressures at those temper at, at those uh levels they cannot survive the temperature the pressure the temperature of the water um it can't survive obviously without oxygen to breathe like you are extremely vulnerable and like we really the, the fact that the movie begins with catastrophe um highlights what the goal of the movie is like we maybe should not be down here the way that al- the alien movies uh is are about how we definitely should not be all the way out here most people that watch this movie so i'm saying we as probably the audience has never been in like submersible level or submarine level pressure, right? Like that concept of that you literally have an unfathomable amount of weight pressing down on you is like maybe if you scuba dive, you've got a sense of that, but you know, nowhere near to the level of something like this or even just like other less science fiction y um, depths that people live in and breathe in. And this movie does a really good job, like you said, very quickly of setting up the stakes of what it means to be in, like, an underwater uh, station at the bottom of the ocean floor. In this case, the deepest part of the ocean floor in the marine trench. You have this rush. She finds T.J. Miller. She gets to the bridge. There's a few other people who have survived. She talks to the, um, the captain, played by Vincent Castle, and they're like, what do we do? Radios are broken. And he's like, we're going to get back to this point. I'm going to wait to list the Lovecraftian moments. Until after I get to the plot recap. Um, but Vincent Castle is like weirdly chill as the captain about everything. He's like, yeah, what are we going to do? 
how are we going to get out of this? He's Let's like, uh, keep... to use a pun, he's ballast. Like, he's balancing everyone out. He's trying to give everyone a sense of perspective. Like, he's, 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 he's supposed to, he's playing the captainly role, and he's trying to make sure, like, everybody that knows more than him is speaking their mind and doing but... their jobs properly. Yeah, but, but I also we'll think there. it's super suspicious that, we'll like, he, like, when, when they discover him, he is, like, sitting calmly in that kind of, like, bridge area. And then when people come, he starts making an effort as, like, a the captain of all of them to say, hey, okay, well, let's figure this out. He seems to be making no effort to find other people. He seems to be making no effort to escape himself until other people are present. And even or, then, he's like weird. Or he assumed everyone on that station was dead, and he just accepted death. There's There's, two, there's two directions to go. The fact that the movie ends the way it does and the fact that we're doing a Lovecraft month means we're going to go with Aaron's assumption because it's the more fun one. Well, it's not just the more... I, I think there's actually proof that kind of gets into that, but we'll I'll get there in a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my case for why this is explicit, even if it's an Easter egg component. So anyways, so they get in these suits. One of the suits, uh, air scrubbers isn't working. They're both pressure and cold suits. They go down the elevator. There's this great horror sequence of like the first um, one of the characters dies because there's a slight break in the in the gr- glass, which is going to turn into more because once there's a structural, uh, the structural integrity is fucked up. You're you're out of luck. You can't do much. Uh, a great sequence where they where he explodes. Uh, they're kind of going it's, down to I've the bottom. I've never seen anything like that in a horror movie before. I know. It's so goddamn good. It's so um, good. Um, and so they're going down to the bottom because their plan is to walk to this other station that's far away. There's a closer station, but Vincent Castle's like, oh, that one does it. That one's also down. Yep, doesn't work. No power. It, it, that's the old station that was abandoned at, well, at some point. Hold on. So he, But he says that this has no power. It's broken down. You can't go there. That turns out to be false later. We're going to get there. Um, so they get go- on their way down to the ocean floor to to walk underwater across the floor to the next station. Uh, they notice that there's another lift that is stopped. It looks like there might be a person inside. They go. They find this, like, uh, uh, alien-like... Uh, what, what are they called when they're in their, like, pre-alien form? The eggs? Uh, oh, like the nascent larva? version, the, you know, the, yeah, like a um, tadpole. <laughs> yeah, that's killed, but it's, it's kind of like this great design, great, like, uh, monster. It definitely echoes, like, a Phil Tippett type thing. There's also um, the scene in Alien where they put the head crab on the... A hundred percent, but it's still good. Yeah. <laughs> or the scene in Life where they put the life on the thing. That's, I think that's just goo. I, I forget what the thing I, I, is. I've only seen And I've trailer. seen Life! Um, they they find that this killed the thing. They shoot it with nail guns. They're like, "Well, this is weird. Maybe the earthquakes that have rocked the station have played a part in this." Also, should be worth noting, they're drilling for oil. Not a big surprise, but that's they're actually drilling. They think the drill caused an earthquake. That's why all this stuff happened. This Anyways, is a movie that begins tacitly uh, expecting you to uh, uh, take it as a environmental thriller, and I bet you, yeah. Oh, 90% of audiences made it to the end thinking it was still an environmental thriller. Anyway, that ends up being a, okay, shit's weird. They get to the bottom, they start walking, and all of a sudden there are these, these human-sized, like, almost ghost monsters who are, uh, like, preying on them. 
uh, through the glass. And they kind of run. They end up in this station that's already flooded and crushed a little through the pressure. They try to make their way through. This is where T.J. Miller dies horrifically because it it literally kills him through his uh, like basically robot armor, his robot jock suit. And they're like, how is that possible? That's odd. Um, and then they go to this kind of extended sequence underwater that's really good. Things are appearing on, out of nothing because it's essentially total darkness except for a little bit of light. Uh, Vincent Castle dies. A bunch of other people uh, die. Uh, all of a sudden, Kristen Stewart recognizes that the station that she was told was actually already destroyed is fine. It has all the power. She goes there, discovers some stuff in some locker that we're going to get back to. Um and then ultimately she ends up – they are uh, – her and two other characters that are uh, like a boyfriend girlfriend that are still around. Character names are literally not important if they have them. They are about to go, okay, well, the only thing left to get out of here is the actual drill and drill site, which we can go into. There's pods we can get up. Um, all of a sudden as they're walking across the bridge to this, they notice that there is literally these these humanoid type monsters that have been uh, the threat for most of the movie – um, all of a sudden there's hundreds and hundreds of them and they're like hanging upside down like bats and they try to slowly make their way through there. One wakes up and then as uh, you think it's about to kill Kristen and Stewart, it's violently plucked in the air and you realize that it is like a it's like a, a mite or a dust mite or a tick or something like that that's living on this much bigger monster that has been causing all the 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 problems and that monster is cthulhu in clear bright day just a giant uh cthulhu who's coming up from the ocean they make their way to the drill they ultimately uh there's only two working pods the boyfriend and girlfriend go up kristen stewart's character resigns herself to dying until all of a sudden all the little men living on cthulhu uh, decide to swim up to kill the pods that are heading up to the surface. And so Kristen Stewart uh, basically does the only thing that she can do, which is explode the drill, seemingly stopping the, the Cthulhu and his minions. And then at the end, the newspaper clippings uh, indicate that uh, the two survivors have never been allowed to talk to the press. They're being hidden and they apologize for the accident. The company is going to begin drilling again. Very, very soon. So, and that is uh, that is that is explicitly how um, Call of Cthulhu: The Story ends. Is yeah, uh, I think it's the the Scandinavian sea captain rams his ship into Cthulhu uh, and uh, temporarily defeats him. I think Cthulhu sort of like fa- like phase shifts out of existence. Yep. Um, back down to Relier, back down to the ocean's surface. hundred percent, yeah. Sinks to the bottom of the ocean, still down there, still waiting to be uncovered by poor souls. It's but... not defeated, just slapped on the wrist. Exactly. Uh, and that's really explicit here. Now, here's the things that I say, like, specifically says, as an Easter egg, as someone who knows the, the story of Call of Cthulhu... There's a few points that this movie specifically is like, I'm a Cthulhu adaptation. Uh, one, when they are in getting on those uh, underwater scuba suits, there is a giant fucking painting like the Sistine Chapel of a uh, fish messiah <laughs> rising uh, from the water with a bunch of like fish human hybrid angels uh, alongside it. Um, one of the characters looks at it and goes, hmm, 
It's kind of weird. It's on screen for about five to ten seconds, and then they go about their business. The other sort of explicit thing. So there's the whole thing about this. So the station that's supposedly destroyed is the um, Shepherd uh, Station. And the Shepherd Station, ca- uh, ca- uh, the captain played by Vincent Cassell again, is like, oh, that was destroyed in an earlier earthquake. Um, it is actually fine. It is standing just f- uh, no problem. When um, Kristen Stewart's character gets there and she starts opening the lockers of Vincent Cassell, who's been down there for a very long time, he's kind of one of the original people, she finds a map with a bunch of different, like, it looks like something out of a horror movie where they're trying to find the correct, like, site to, like, worship the devil. It is hand-drawn pictures of, like, different monsters with a bunch of, like, crisscross yarn lines uh, and a bunch of X'd out spots into the spot that they want. And then a bunch of pictures of him and these other professor, pro, uh, professorial crew members who are like celebrating a couple discoveries and some photos that she looked at. Which is like explicitly Cthulhu. They're trying to find out where their god is buried. It's all these old uh, professorial people and like all these weird drawings in the station that was supposedly destroyed that he lies to her about also they find out the other thing that's extremely important which is the captain's daughter has died about 20 years before and he lies about her being um alive and there's some implicit indication that his goal through this is to somehow bring her back from life and like those are the things that are essentially like okay there's a there's this giant fish painting in this room that indicates like a god a fucking Cthulhu god that there was. Also, that's in the modern station. That's like that. that yeah, was that's in the modern the station. Kepler, yeah, Kepler station. That's that's not uh, in the old station that some no. guy, some crazy guy drew in a wall. <clears throat> that's early on when all you know is that an earthquake is fucking up Kepler station and the and the Robic drill. So I think, like, if we're just going to parse it down, those things combined with where it ends, like, the story here is that Vincent Cassell is the, you know, is the guy who is working with this cult. They're Cthulhu worshippers, right? Like, that's the, that's, the, that's the second act of that book, who have been looking to find their savior god. And um, in this case, the implication is because, you know... Uh, when Cthulhu rises, as you know from reading the story, all the living and the dead come back to life for like eternal whatever on Earth, uh, uh, plain pain, pleasure, and other things like that. Like this, I don't know. Sometimes it's kind chaos. of chaos. Uh, chaos. Yeah, the, this sort of chaos uh, ritual where they um, will will unlock the dark heart of man. They will make everyone go crazy. They'll do. They'll relive their their darkest impulses. I feel like the best iteration not to plug something else because we don't really cover comic books but the best iteration or uh, viewpoint i've seen of you know cosmic horror god you know moon presence thing yeah uh, is uh in uh the nameless which is a, a oh yeah Morrison comic and there's sequences of showing like a modern new york if a uh, cosmic horror entity did unlock drive us to the point of madness where we're unlocking our, our worst impulses and there's like rampant horrific violence like people teaming up with cops to commit horrific crimes like yeah. <laughs> like there's there's images that are burned in my skull from that comic that are so disturbing that like that 
It's one of the few comics that's not by Junji Ito that has actually scared me. Highly recommend, highly recommend Nameless if you're into the Lovecraft stuff. Yeah, it's so it's so good. Yeah, you recommended that to me. You actually told me specifically you would not recommend more comic books until <laughs> I had read Nameless, which I did. I did that uh, to my brother too, where my brother was starting to get into comics, and then I was, and he was like, "Oh, what should I read next?" And I was like, "You nothing until you read Nameless." Yeah, so it like it the story's all there, right? Vincent Cassell, these old people are like, you know, he even has the motivation there, right? Like his daughter died. Um, he doesn't know how to accept that. He ends up following a, uh, trying to find a god that will, classic horror shit, right? Like, bring his daughter back to life, even if it's in this, like, total disruption of the world through a uh, Cthulhu god. <laughs> Him and his team found this company that's essentially, um, to all intents and purposes, an oil drilling company, but is actually trying to find where Cthulhu is buried. Um, they eventually succeed. He... When, when everyone else in that like initial posse had died, uh, or who knows the circumstances, but they're not around anymore. Maybe not died. Maybe, maybe quit. Maybe decided they were wrong. He like finally unleashes Cthulhu. They find the drill site. He is sitting awaiting his god to arise on the station. And all of a sudden, some other people that he did know and care about that were hired to work on the station for the oil drilling operation. Uh, are still alive those people led specifically by Kristen stewart ultimately discover um the the horrific reality that they are living under until again like you said cthulhu rises they see him the captain sacrifices there's a sacrifice to push him down for the time being while a couple people escape while noting that the like it literally is all there it is absolutely all there but it is done in those like tiny tiny points like you have to know that story and the only way to truly recognize like the first time i saw it i was noting the weirdness but it wasn't until the cthulhu stuff happened that's like oh yeah it's a cthulhu at we got a cthulhu adaptation ever thing here can i also just jump in really quickly a quick asterisk sorry Um, those notes that i wrote about that stuff i wrote back in january of 2019 um because as i was sitting in the car thinking back to all the little weird moments that all of a sudden made sense like i was codifying it in my phone in case we ever in case a i ever ever need to talk about it with anyone or b we did it on the show i actually did that with colorado space earlier in the month and that's why that episode ended up being three hours is uh i got home from i got to my car from seeing it i started texting you and then i was like well, he hasn't seen it yet, so I stopped it. And then I took a bunch of notes in my phone. And then I took notes in my notebook when I got home. And then I watched the movie again for the show, whatever, nine months later. And uh, then I, uh, I I ended up taking like six pages of notes total. Like sometimes it's nice when these movies are somewhat fresh in your mind and then you get to revisit them within a year because like that sub- they haven't subconsciously truly disappeared. The thoughts are still sort of rattling around. Um, but just to leave a quick asterisk there, that sort of bait and switch, I want to say, where you think it's like it's an not environmental really, but thriller. Yeah, I don't, is it even a bait and switch? Like, I it's, don't know. It's hard to gauge. Yeah, but like at least, at least from the, the, the first 20 minutes, you think it's an environmental thriller about, um, what happens when we, we, we dig too deep, we, we frack too hard, baby. 
and we uh yeah it's just gonna be a gravity style uh disaster movie. yeah we, we we goofed right um and and gravity is not necessarily an environmental thriller but it is uh the reason that the incident happens is because of space junk which will be an environmental disaster when we are you know in 50 or 100 years or it's an environmental disaster now but we'll care about it in 50 or 100 years anyways so um Taking it from that and then shifting to cosmic horror, there's this Larry Festin movie called The Last Winter. Have you ever heard about that? Uh, I've heard of Larry Festin. You ever read this? You ever read this? Um, you, ever see, you ever see about uh, The Last Winter? <laughs> uh, I, I hope it is The Last Winter because my cars uh, duh, don't like going out when it's cold. You gotta buy so much antifreeze. See what, happens with the, see what the, the, the salt does to the, the trim on my car? I gotta you replace- flood your engine because it's too goddamn cold? Mavis. So the last winter is a Larry Festin is, is movie. His, that is, begins... her, is, is his wife's name Mavis? Or did I just? We've been Myrtle. saying it's Mavis for about four months. Okay. So if it's... you want to stick to it, reg- like you want to, his head wife's down. name is Mavis now canonically. Mavis Beacon, te- you teach and typing. Gotta be driving our cars. <laughs> Again, the line between Jay Leno. <laughs> and Clarence from Wonder Shows and Oh, I'm just doing Clarence. It's at this wearing point. thinner that is. and thinner. Um, but the last winner is this Larry Fessenden horror movie, and uh, it is very much uh, it, it, tacitly like an environmental thriller about like these scientists going up to Antarctica, and all of a sudden, like, oh well, the Arctic, uh, the Arctic melt is uh, un- uh maybe releasing some bacteria in the air and like oh the arctic melt is releasing other things maybe too uh mm-hmm. because of global warming um and then that leads into pure cosmic horror by the end i don't think we'll cover it on the show maybe if we maybe if we end up doing like a month with like a bunch of short kind of movies but um the that is another movie that i saw that similar sort of maybe bait and switch isn't the correct term but at least it's the the idea that i want to get at that like you you see the trailer for the movie and you're like oh it's about how global warming is bad and then by the end you're like oh it's also about why uh when we meddle with things in the universe that we don't understand we unleash things that we don't understand yeah environmental disaster movies are great like there's some i like i'm trying to like here's the issue here's the issue environmental disaster movies don't change the minds of the people that actually make decisions they just make the average moviegoer or the average genre moviegoer feel bad about being alive i also think they're just hard to be exciting like um i remember unless there's a radioactive bear or something like, pro- yeah, like, like pro- a- prophecy progeny yeah the radioactive bear one. <laughs> oh, of course yeah the rate is that the frankenheimer movie is that what you're talking about uh yeah that's a radioactive i haven't seen it it's about like a mutant bear or it looks like a cool egg demon i didn't know it was about a bear it's about a it's about a spooky bear who like mm-hmm. i don't know swims in sewage or something that patches from an egg the interesting thing about this, Peter, is that, like, and I'm going to use Dark Souls as an example. If, like, movies could exist in that same plane as Dark Souls and be longer and have, like, hours and hours and hours of, of gameplay and there's these clues hidden throughout, like there is in this movie, then I think you have something very interesting because you have, like, this 
adaptation of Cthulhu that isn't blatantly obvious till the end, but it has enough clues and stuff for like fans to create whole YouTube channels around, right? But instead, it's a movie. It's a movie with three or four things that make it really interesting to like think about and discuss and you're like oh my god all these implications of this movie what a cool adaptation and of course like we said earlier obviously the best rendering of cthulhu that likely will ever be on screen at least for the next 10 to 20 years uh yeah i mean lovecraft is having its moment and we can you know cross our fingers that um Richard Stanley gets to fulfill his full dark vision, um, especially on a episode in October of uh, Kingcast. Uh, he basically hinted that he was going to do a uh, Lovecraftian apocalypse, which if it doesn't include Cthulhu, it's got to include. You think it's the like Oxithoc. the Avengers of of the of the Cthulhu mythos? That Whoa. would be the event. That would be the thing to get me excited. The like the like Stanley Lovecraft uh, cinematic universe. Um, I would love it if he just devote, but like that would be that wouldn't be a sixty million dollar movie. But it would look because it would happen in probably five or six years time if it happens at all. It would look probably as good as this movie. But I think this movie Maybe. right now stands the test of time for this year. And like while everybody is trying to figure out what Lovecraft is, how it fits in. Uh, the the actual movie itself has a uh, terrifying depiction of the god, uh, including some cool little uh, stalker-like um, Lovecraftian monstrosities that, like, uh, sort of... That actually feels him, like, like straight out of Cloverfield, right? Yeah, like the they're like barnacles on the larger god, yeah. right? Can I ask you a question? So, um, that, that shot where the arm or whatever goes away, right? Like, you think... You think it's like a weird uh, industrial tunnel to the drill, right? And it's just been infested with these, like, bat-hanging people. And that moment where, like, how, can you at least describe to me, like, how long did it take you from that moment to realize it was Cthulhu? And what was, like, in that moment the reaction? I mean, to confess live on audio that will be edited and then released Four months in the past. Yeah. Um, I had the ending spoiled for me, uh, for this movie in the way that, uh, you said, um, or did you, did you spoil this for me? No, I very specifically did not. So it's kind of frustrating to hear that. This is a movie that was spoiled for me. Um, I think from Twitter or whatever, but this is a, this is a situation where spoiler became advertising. Uh, Yes. I knew I had to watch this movie regardless. Um, well, yeah, I get it. Like, just the fact that it's featured on a Lovecraft month. If you're like, oh, wait. I think it was like an article in Bloody Disgusting or something. Yeah. They, like, the title basically hinted that, like, oh, the the big guy shows up at the end. And then I clicked on the article and it was, like, immediately, like, a picture of Cthulhu. So, um, I, I knew that Cthulhu was coming. But the moment, there's a really great horror sequence. So, I, I think the yeah. movie is full of these really great sort of confusing walks underwater on the ocean surface in these these like big um power suits power armor suits um where the only light that is that exists comes from your um your helmet um and if you lose the tow cable you're essentially wandering around in the dark until your your uh uh co2 scrubber gives out 
And there's a great sequence where they're, they have to basically walk underneath a field of these stalkers who are all like sleeping. And they're kind of, they're, they're kind of insmouthy. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, though they would never pass as humans, right? They're, they're, they're probably more of the seaside insmouth and not the hybrid human, uh, mixture insmouth folks. Um, and also the fact that all of them are part of this sort of larger throng, them all being barnacles on a larger beast makes them fit into the Lovecraft ethos for me because them being in the thrall of Cthulhu. And the moment when Cthulhu like roars at Kristen Stewart inside the control chamber and she's just awestruck staring at Cthulhu um, and they all swarm in to try and stop her. That is that is like directly from the mythos, right? Like that's that's a moment that there are there are lesser sort of cosmic horror entities that are in thrall to larger cosmic horror entities Um and it, there's there's a pantheon of gods and pantheon of, of, of you know, Migos are afraid of this god and yada yada. That is where all of this connected for me is the horror sequence where they're walking under these barnacle things and it's terrifying. And then all of a sudden, Kristen Stewart manages to get away from this thing and a big arm lifts up and it takes them away. And I, and it did, I didn't react like, oh, I wish I hadn't had that moment spoiled. I reacted, oh, the big guy's here. Yeah, I mean, it's such an effective sequence. It works so well, like, especially the moment when, like, it's about to lunge and then it pulls away suddenly, like, 100% agree. Like, I like this as, like, a Cthulhu adaptation that's fun to talk about, but like we said, like, the the sequence where the person gets crushed by the water, first slowly and then suddenly... Um, the opening sequence where the water starts seeping in, the sequence where it reveals that um, the stalkers were not the biggest uh, threat for everyone to worry about. Like, it has a bunch of great horror sequences. I actually think, like, we didn't talk about it much from a pacing perspective. The problem is, is that the middle of this movie is a big wet fart. It has an amazing opening right down to when they start like descending with their suits and the person's uh, suit bursts. And then it basically has like, I actually think the underwater sequences are fine, but also like gets into that. Things are too cloudy. Things get a little bit too green screeny when they're walking across the surface of the ocean. And I would interrupt Um, and say like, I was a little annoyed at that at first. And then I, I realized like once you re- take this as a cosmic horror story, like I found that to be an asset rather than a bug where I was like, I, I was like, if they, the, the moments where they're just walking, it's like walking around in the mist, right? Like you don't see anything until you see something and it's either very good or very bad news. So I guess my point is that um, it's a very creepy environment that doesn't have all that much memorable horror sequences. Like, even though it does look a little green screeny, like and and it's not like ineffective in parts, especially when you look over, it feels like a peppering where you were getting full meals before, uh, and then the full meals start like you get a huge meal at the end. Like uh, every part of that sequence, minus the ending narration, works really well. Even the newspaper clippings that kind of reveal the epilogue at the end. The ending narration um, being like a almost like a. 
you go girl message for Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I mean like, the beginning and the ending Kristen narration face is, is like... doing all the acting. We don't need a fucking narration bit where she's like getting you go girled by herself. Like it's so yeah, the... it's it's so it's such like a a, a outdated mode of like <laughs> feminist empowerment. <laughs> I don't even know if it's that. It literally is just like uh I'm taking I'm taking charge of my own life. Sometimes we fall to get back up again. It's like if someone thought Terrence Malick narration was specifically to explain the the plot. <laughs> like I don't right. get it. I also don't right. get it. like like no one's like thinks like um here's Brad Pitt and Tree of Life being like sometimes the wind comes out at night. Like you're it's a impressionistic into like it's supposed to be simplified impressionism into like what his character is thinking in the moment. No one's supposed to take it as literal narration or like giving a theme explicitly. And this, this both the beginning and the ending narration <laughs> reminds me of Terrence Malick narration. If it was meant to tie a plot together, I I agree. I actually let me let me pull that into something else that I I love. Like I love in the new Wolfenstein games when B J Blazkowicz is yeah. just is just like this Great war- warrior yeah. poet and like he's yeah. never like man i can't wait to kill more nazis or like his his internal monologue is never like man i can't wait to get to the moon to kill moon nazis like his internal monologue is like what like what place am i supposed to be in right now like what yeah. like is is what i'm doing is this really like, what we did yeah, yeah and it's not like he's asking whether or not he's doing the right thing like he knows he's on the right path but he's asking like what sort of um He's like this warrior poet thing, like this Hemingway figure, which is like a very interesting way to like update that series. I wish Kristen Stewart, if she was going to have any narration at all, it was just like narration of her slightly lo- like losing um, all semblance of reality. Yeah. or And like her having little like wisps of her trying to like grab onto reality. Um, I I am not a fan of narration in movies in general. There's there's a few obviously that like are obviously exceptions to the rule. I'm not a psychopath, um, but generally speaking, I don't like it. In this movie, I like narration. So I will say offer, I like narration. Before we move on from that, I like narration when it's employed for specific stylistic or like character revelation moments. Like so. I do like Terrence Malick's narration because it's supposed to just compete with everything else for a, uh, for a, to give you a sense of like feeling of the, what the characters are thinking and feeling. Right? Well, yeah, like, the, it's, it's visual poetry paired with uh, yeah. audio poetry. It's not, and then it's like, not Sean Penn, like, man, my dad was an asshole. <laughs> hey, where's, Am I going to see some family members in this desert, or what's going on? I haven't seen <laughs> one family member went, and I I died and went all the way to heaven, uh, which is where where I must be. What else could this be? Instead, he's like, "Is it just me, or is my dad a little anti-Semitic?" Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't try to find him so much. That guy was an asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but there is a moment I wanted to I want to defend something from opening narration though. Um, there's well, a but there's stuff like adaptation that I do or like, and that's that. Oh. Uh, she's talking about her. I don't like that there's narration in it, but I like that she's talking about her um, her dead boyfriend. You don't know who the dead boyfriend is, so it's a little bit evocative. Uh, and you don't know if she's talking about a cult leader. You don't know if she's talking about Cthulhu speaking to her, but she just says like a he, a general he. Um, 
And you find out she's talking about a dead boyfriend. Um, and she says that he used to talk about there's no such thing as time. There's just moments. And she's talking yeah. about when you're underneath the water, everything is sort of a waking dream. And there's no day night. And, like, all of that adds a lot to the Lovecraftian sense yeah. of, like, loss. And, like, Lovecraft wrote a lot about the blurred lines between days and day daydreams and how time doesn't matter. And I almost feel like the movie... Like it, it's not tacit, it's not actually implying this, but because I can read text however the fuck I want, um, I feel like they're implying that the boyfriend was kind of part of the cult, and like that kind of narration at the beginning is what I want out of the movie if they're gonna have narration at all, which is um, little slices of little slices of her psyche, not slices of epilogue. Like, little slices of her thinking about, like, ruminating on time and space and how she's brushing her teeth and she's not sure if it's morning or night or the middle of the day. Now that you say that, I actually do like the opening narration. I think the ending narration is like, I didn't know I could be so overwhelmed underwater. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I wanted to, I definitely wanted, sorry, I I powered through, but like, I wanted to, I wanted no, to. No, it's stoke, fine. I, I now I'm not going like to go back and say thing. other things that I like narration in. But that's fine because we should just end this, Peter. It's late. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm under. Oh wait, is there anything that indicates that you're tired? Under it the, starts with under. Under the covers. Yeah, I want to get. We've been underwater. I want to get under the covers. <laughs> um, I think that the. I think that the. Just sort of a final thought. I think that the yeah. pr- the. Um, scientific pragmatism of the movie opening it with uh, Kristen Stewart having to shut the door and essentially yeah. like quote unquote doom um, some people that you know would have died if she had kept the door open also is a great way to open us up to a cosmic thriller because it has it has us ground in the it has us ground in the pragmatics of everyday survival under this yeah not everyday survival but like survival in this <laughs> yeah, every extreme day. Ex- extreme experience yeah i i don't think the station would survive very long if it had to One, up every there's day. a few things i do every day i breathe i eat drink some water make sure i have shelter shut the pod bay doors before the <laughs> overwhelming water explodes and i get eaten by cthulhu monsters uh practice self-care the whole ball of wax All um and I love that that sort of um, sort of practicality of it, that nuts and bolts practicality of it, and the fact that that suit cracks and that guy implodes. Which, by the way, this movie's PG thirteen, which is very weird. Um, yeah, because at the end, uh, the drill fucks Cthulhu to death. <laughs> Cthulhu's into it. Um, but the you know the bad banter, the the sort of obviousness of the newspaper ending, and the the. Um, the the bad dialogue uh, the bad um narration at the end are like a little tinnied from where we start which is this really like ground down nuts and bolts kind of movie um and then at the end it's like a message of hope and like frankly i don't want a message of hope yeah i know that that was the last note that was actually gonna be my final thought like it it gets the imagery and the story right when it comes to a Lovecraft it even gets the idea of a mystery that needs to be solved by the audience. I'll give it that. What it doesn't get right at all is totally what a lo- what a Cthulhu movie represents. And so the fact that like Kristen Stewart watches with a big smile on her face as two lovers will be reunited at at the surface and to say some stuff about like when there was just one set of monster footprints. <laughs> 
that's when Cthulhu is flying through the air, or some you like it. It doesn't it doesn't hold together thematically for Lovecraft, and I and most of the stuff that we usually do on our Lovecraft months is either explicit interpretations of Lovecraftian themes or matches Lovecraft tonally like Dark Waters which we're going to do next week um, is a good example of a like a tonal Lovecraft movie last year when we did The Last Wave Peter is a really good example of like like yeah there's no Cthulhu but this is matching Lovecraft's worldview and the idea of unknowable horror um, this actually does all the imagery and the plot stuff at least accurate to his story while completely missing all the appropriate themes that are implied. So it works as this is going to be my last thing because you didn't say anything and I, I want to wrap up anyways. It's late. Um, so this works as a visual interpretation of Call of Cthulhu. It works as I want to see a $50 million movie, underwater horror movie, that actually is pretty well directed, has some great scares, has an amazing looking monster at the end. It works as like I want to have a mystery to be solved on the asterisk asterisk that I know the story of the call of cthulhu pretty goddamn well to be able to piece that mystery together because it's not leaving me many clues but where it just completely whiffs the boat is um lovecraft's perspective and worldview when it comes to the idea of fear of the unknown characters are scared for their life they're not scared at having their reality shattered in front of them like they're they're scared for how they get back up to the surface and how they survive in the moment they're not scared for what the fact that a fucking cthulhu uh living under the surface of the ocean represents like the and and that ending narration is the perfect call out for it the idea that kristen stewart's like maybe things are going to be okay uh Dude, you should be dying in the biggest pit of despair if you it, like your underwater your ending narration should be oh fuck sure I saved their lives who the fuck cares yeah like, like this there is, there are horrors beyond are, pressure and yeah. temperature and everything else yeah I saved those two people so that they can I don't know depressurize on the surface in a world that's fucking doomed yeah so it's it's weird like normally you don't get the like. You don't get the literal adaptation. You get the uh, the hints of, like, theme interpretation. Usually that's because of budget or whatever other reason. So I, I find this movie fascinating. I feel like, um, Peter, I think we were texting about it. Like, it is, like, two clicks on the knob away from actually being a great movie. Like, you match the, the visuals with the, the, the tone of Lovecraft, the horror that Lovecraftian unknowable terror represents and i think you have like maybe one of the best adaptations of lovecraft of all times as it stands i think you have a very interesting artifact that is a fun horror watch that misses its full potential i uh completely agree um but yeah so aaron we're this is week two what are we covering next week uh i don't remember dark waters it's it's funny because we just recorded it before this episode. Dark waters, dark waters. Uh, the Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> Let's just build a direct bridge to the opening of our next episode. Uh, yeah, we're doing Dark Waters, which is this uh, visually fascinating 
uh, Lovecraftian nunnery movie. We'll just leave it there. You can hear more about it next week. Uh, and oh, then we're sorry, yeah. The month- so Dark Waters is a 1994 movie directed by Mariano Baiano. Um, do not watch the Japanese Dark Water. Well, you can watch it. Just watch it. The podcast. Just know we yeah. won't be talking about do it. Do not movie. watch the American remake of that movie. Um, do not. Because it's bad and we won't be talking about it. And uh, I haven't seen the Mark Ruffalo Todd Haynes movie, but I hear good things. Todd Haynes but is a good no. director. If you're going to watch it, uh, no, it will not be brought up for more than eight seconds next week. Yeah, percentage-wise, it's less than one percent of the discussion of the Darkwater movies next week. Yeah, we basically pitch it as a starting point for a more interesting movie. Yeah, which weirdly ties a bow over the whole conversation, and that, my friends, is called Hollywood Serendipity. <laughs> uh, good night and good spooks to good you spooks. all. Pineapple under the sea Absorbent and yellow and porous is he If nautical nonsense be something you wish Then drop on the deck and flop like a fish Are you ready kids? SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants SpongeBob I can't hear you! SpongeBob, SpongeBob, SquarePants! Ready? SpongeBob, SpongeBob, SquarePants! SpongeBob, SquarePants! Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful, uh, as we explained to our loved ones, where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>